Hey everybody, this is Dr. Bill Janishak in the Conquering Stress Podcast, where everything that we know is, uh, and everything that we deal with ultimately comes down to stress. Stress is physical, it's chemical and emotional, and I've been preaching that. If you've been listening to this for a while, then you know exactly uh, what we're going to be talking about, but not in what realm. I am so excited right now to... uh, to introduce a new concept to most of you that's coming by that that even when I was sitting here and I was talking to her, I, I I was like blown away and I'm like, yeah, God, how do we, how are we missing this? This is the information that you'd have to get out. And it's dentistry. And right now you're probably going, why in the heck are you talking to me about dentistry? And I and what's it have to do? You're going to be blown away if you've been dealing with any symptom adhd headaches uh apnea which i get patients all the time so oh i I have a cpap machine i've got to do this i'm just fidgety i can't think right brain fog all this stuff that's going on um we may have a great answer for you and i'll let you know first off before you get started is to hang on to your hat maybe get a little caffeinated or something because we're going to have some informationally dense stuff going on and at first I'm like, ah, this is going to be hard for the lay public. But you know what? We live in the world of Google, chat, GTP, AI. And as we're watching our technology just take off and, and go, and, and everybody seems to be really on board with that, let's stop and look at the physiology too, because technology, what our knowledge base and what we can do with our bodies is going to be even more impactful now than ever. So um, I'm going to go out on a limb and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to let it, I'm just going to let it hang out. So Bahar, can you introduce yourself? And I want to give you, go ahead and give a little background on exactly what we're, um, let me get you on now. There you go. Uh, <laughs> a little background on you because you have such a <clears throat> wonderful story. I was, I was all I like I said when you were talking I'm like I'm gonna propose because what, <laughs> what a brain and and putting things together which is my favorite thing but give the people your background so they know that you're the real deal. Well, thank you, Bill, for that intro. Uh, I don't know about the real deal, but I just think <laughs> practitioners like yourself and mine are anomalies these days because mainstream, when we go to training, become whatever doctor, whatever initials you chose to be, it basically has put guardrails around what we can do, what we can ask our patients, what we could do for them. But we we all understand the human body is not, doesn't work that way. We cannot reductionistically put people in a box and say, well, you're in the presence of a dentist. These are the things a dentist can do for you. What I realized after I've been a dentist for 14 years, I went through all the allopathic, you know, way of understanding things and how to treat disease in the mouth. And about the first 10 years of my career was just that. When I decided to become a whole body, whole arch, the entire mouth dentist, my attention was diverted to the temporal mandible joint and then the neck and the airway and the rest of the body. A little bit about me, I not only am a dentist, but for the last eight, 10 years almost, I've also been a personal trainer. And my interest in personal training, kinesiology, corrective exercises and posture combined with what I do as a dentist was a quite a coincidence, we should say. I started noticing patterns that most people probably don't because if you're a dentist, you don't look at people's hip. If you're a personal trainer or a chiropractor, physical therapist, you won't look at their mouth. Start connecting the dots. When I was seeing people with a certain kind of malocclusion, which is how the teeth come together, 
I started noticing they have a certain pattern in their feet, the way they walk and their hip as I was trying to correct them. It started uh, the black hole, that Pandora box that kind of sucked me in. And I'm glad to report four years later, I know more about the body than I did the first 10 years that I went through training and the 10 years that I practiced. So two decades of my life, I have completely shifted directions in what I do in dentistry. And for the last four years, I have not been repairing teeth anymore. And I, I now understand teeth are just signals into the neurological development of the body. They come in the mouth in particular times during our growth and development from childhood, the first two teeth and the child starts walking, eating, balancing, developing some motor skills through teenagers and dentitions and wisdom teeth. And when the teeth are erupting in the mouth, we're not born with them. They erupt in the mouth, in particular, developmental milestones in terms of our motor skills, going from reflexes to midbrain, cerebellum, being able to go to left to right and propel. Without teeth, we would not, we would not be able to, to last. I mean, in let, animal let, let kingdom- Let me interrupt you for, for a second because I, wa I, want, I want people to hear something. That you're saying that there's not just a, an overlap of things that are happening. When teeth are erupting in the mouth, mm -hmm. that it's not just because they're going through the same phase of where they're learning how to balance, but the teeth actually have an influence on how your motor pathways and, and the light. Is that correct? Absolutely. I mean, if we go back to the nature and how we developed the same tissue, except the enamel, that's a neural crest, that's uh, calcified neural crest, this tissue underneath the enamel, which is that white hard surface of the teeth. It's the hardest structure in our entire body. That's the dentin, uh, right? That, that, the dentin is underneath the enamel. So enamel is that white, beautiful yeah. hard surface outside. And underneath that is a softer tissue called dentin. And underneath of that is the pulp tissue, which is all blood vessels and nerves. And, and the teeth are little, you know, um, hard structures that are suspended inside the bone in our mouth. And that little wire, the little wires that are um, integrated with, with nervous system, they basically form and they're the same exact receptors and every synovial joint in your body, like your shoulders, like your knees, even your temporomandible joint, same proprioceptive receptors. What does that tell you? Teeth are not just there for chewing. That is one of the functions of the teeth. But let's think about when the teeth erupt in the mouth, we start the child start getting the teeth at about six months old when they start crawling, standing up. You know, when the molars come in, they're able to walk. They're not chewing until much later. And chewing is one of the functions of the teeth. And as a matter of fact, when we're chewing, the teeth don't even come together. There's always bolus of food in between them. Teeth are neurological organs. So go back to the tissue of the teeth, dentin and pulp. So enamel is outside, dentin is underneath, and then the pulp tissue. And let's go, I, I want to define something because like I said, you're, like I said, people, we're going informationally dense because I, we think you're worth it. So when we say proprioceptive, what does that mean? That's a grand, you know, like you're right, but Bill, sometimes I throw in like things. That no, it's, it's okay. I, I just, yeah. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. So this... proprioception is uh, as human beings, when we are, when we enter this world, come out of the womb, our brain needs to understand who we are and where we are in relation to three dimensions. On this earth, we have to deal with gravity. We have to deal with barometric pressure. So our existence require resistance from everything so that we develop and mold into human beings. How does the brain know how to do that? Because we have limbs that are gonna be deployed in movements. We have 
manageable, we have feet, and we have organs that need to be protected, and we have body mass that needs to be shifted, lymphatics. How does the body know where we are in three dimensions and who we are every well, through proprioception, those are little receptors, if you will. So if you um, let's think about thermostats in the house, right? So how does the how does the central heating and cooling system in the house know how to regulate the temperature inside versus outside? Well, there's 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 uh, the thermometers or receptors everywhere in the house that the central heating system will get that information and just regulates that. So proprioception is basically receptor, neuroreceptors that are embedded everywhere in our skin, in our toes, in our feet, in our teeth, all over our body. Mechanoreceptors are things that are sensitive to touch. Heat receptors are more responsible to temperature changes, pressure changes, also barometric pressure changes. Those are different kinds of receptors that body has wired and, and, and put all over our body so that the brain gets and gather all that information, goes into the spine. Your chiropractor knew that. Mm -hmm. Goes all of them go in, and then one goes up, gets processed in the midbrain area, and that tells the brain where am I, who am I, and it gets it from both sides, right, left. So at any given moment, from doing any kind of developmental stage, our brain is constantly trying to find out who we are and where we are. A child that doesn't roll over, they're stuck on one side. As soon as they're trying to roll over, the hand goes and touches the other surface. The brain is like, oh, wait a minute. There's information from the other side. I've got another side too. When the kid crawls, commando crawling, not like frog crawl, the right hand with the left foot gets coordinated. So the bent brain knows I have a left, I have a right. Mom can like tapping their hand on the baby, the eyes both sides, get information from right and left and the kid gets a reward every time that the mom is doing that and the midbrain kind of knows that there's a left and a right, that gets a reward to the brain. That's how we develop to understand I'm a two-sided human. For breathing, for digestion, for walking, for all of our functions, we're depending on those proprioception that is integrated into our first brain stem. When we are children, we don't have motor skills. We're dependent on reflexes. As we grow those reflexes that are all in brainstem, there's no midbrain, there's no cortex involved. We integrate them into motor skills. So we have reflexes from the time that we have to go through birth canal, come out of the womb. Those are integrated. Like for example, asymmetric tonic reflex is part of the reflex in children's uh, brain development in the womb. So as they go through the birth canal and all those bones in the head kind of get crunched and then, then kind of pass through the birth canal, first breath, the bones will start moving together. We did those reflexes and, and they are not integrated because the child did not go through the birth canal either because of the traumatic birth delivery or uh, fetal attitude in the womb or C-section delivery. If there's an interruption in that process, that reflex is not integrated. So the brain doesn't know, well, I was supposed to integrate that reflex to tell me I'm on this side of the womb and the brain doesn't know that. So that unintegrated reflex becomes a problem. Symmetric tonic reflex when the kids start crawling, which is why if the child does not crawl, that midbrain development is lagging. And then now they have to stand up and, and, and pick up more motor skills, standing up, descending, walking, propelling. And guess what is the most important part of the neuroreception for that process? The teeth. So think about a child who is still operating for their vital functions, which crawling and rolling over and all those stuff, because remember they're becoming more sophisticated humans. 
when they're not reflect, they're not integrating those reflexes, they're operating out of reflexes and midbrain is not a part of this quite well. They don't know left, they don't know right. When they stand up, not a mandible has to tell the brain, we go from two, four, right? Being on four to two, becoming bipedal, standing up. Now mandible is giving garbage information to the brain through the teeth because the brain doesn't know I have left and I have right. Now, what are the functions that are dependent on that? Just about every reflex that is important for our survival as we stand up. Breathing. Does anybody on your podcast right now argue with me that breathing is not absolute most important, vital, number one, hands down, bar none, important function of the body? This is why I, I love talking to you because you're throwing every, everything together. And one of the things like people out there says, you know, the, the different areas of the brain that you're talking about, we, you know, we have the reptilian brain, which is the, the first functioning brain that, that covers everything that we don't really have to think about. And I think that's the realm that you're talking about, because these are the reflexes. And I guess everybody out there, what I'm asking you to do is, um, is stop for a minute, because there's so many things that we take for granted. And, you know, anybody that's that's gone through our unpacking or any of the uh, neuro work and mind work is from zero to four years old is we're just downloading information from our environment. And this is, uh, you know, we know about language and, and values and the rules of the house and how to get into this is even more basic than that. This is the <laughs> basic rules we're downloading on how our body works. And, and this is why I wanted to have you on is to, to, to share the information because we don't, we don't stop to think about things that we never see or do. So what you're talking is those are coming to bite us. <laughs> Literally, uh, we're talking about teeth later on. Um, so that's the reflexes, though, to is yeah, to, is... I mean, Bill, if I want to just give one overview for everybody just challenging, I'm going to get out of the doctor mode because a lot of times information could come in. So look, I'm not really relating to it. Let me just uh, put it out there. We're talking about a machine. Okay. Machines are even less complex than humans, way less complex than humans. You know, uh, robots, right? Information comes in, gets processed in a, in a, in a computer part, and then commands are executed right? That's human brain. Development of a human brain is not complete at birth. It becomes more sophisticated as we go through life to become bipedal sophisticated animals that are able to execute motor skills, thinking, brainwaves, all that stuff. The development happens over time. So if you're following the neurological development of the body and how we go from being an infant, it cannot even move and depending on very basic reflexes, understanding facial recognitions, right? Closing a limbic loop with another human to find safety, parasympathetic. Mom shows up, I see mom's face, you know, um, I can see the movement of the faces, I feel safe. If a child is crying and they're unable to see safety, right? If they're hungry, they're cold, if they're not seeing another human, that limbic loop, right? They're not able to close that. That child goes from what is a fight or flight alert that I'm not safe to what we call a freeze. So they're basically, they're unable to be in rest, digest, grow, and develop. That's really what it is. We're operating out of, out of reflexes. So those reflexes need to be integrated. And I don't like the word dropped 
because we're not having the reflexes dropped and pick up something. It's integrated. And when it's unintegrated, we see that adults at 40 years old or 50 years old, they're still operating out of their reflexes. And that means their brain processing, which is the higher cortex, is still depending upon or their brain is depending on some of the reflexes that are retained. So how, how is that manifesting the people listening right now? How, how are some- Okay, so for example, go, oh. yeah, for example, you know, there are things that we don't think about, like safety. So brain stem, the job of the brain stem is not to bother cortex about safety. We talk about, am I safe, am I not safe? The whole processing of information is for one reason. The environment gives information to the brain, as we talk about that, that computer processing, and it says, am I safe, am I not safe? At any given moment, from the moment of conception and birth, birth and we know, all the way through death, our brain stem is meant for survival. And to survive, it needs to get information from sensory, from environment, from our brain, emotion. You talked about neurophysiology, biochemistry, orthopedics, and even mental social status, uh, spiritual. So all three pillars give information to the brain, to the brain stem to say safe, not safe, safe, not safe, safe, not safe, for survival purposes. So mm -hmm. what information that goes in there is not exactly it's saying that I'm safe, that things are good, and teeth, when they come together, if there's misalignment orthopedic in the body, they go to the brain, I'm not safe. There's something that doesn't work, that because alerts the, the system. it's a basic reflex of- It's of basically how. information. Information goes in, gets processed, not safe, not good. Like imagine if you have malocclusion, every time that you swallow, which some argue with you 700 times a day, some argue with you 2,000 times a day, you do a number of times you swallow, every time your teeth come together, which by the way, for everyone listening, that is the only time that your teeth should be contacting and they're fully contacting. And that contact of the teeth utilizes the proprioception of the teeth to go straight to the brain and say, what is the state of this entire chain that's closed? Remember, we have a two end to any circuit. Our feet on the ground is one end of the circuit. Teeth come together is another end of the circuit in the human body when we stand up. So if, because we don't have fours anymore, we're not, we're not, uh, animals on four. We, when we stand up, or we have our teeth to direct us. So feet on the ground, teeth in the mouth are becoming the two ends of this the circuit. So when the teeth come together every time for swallowing and communicate that left and right are not cohesive, right has got more information and left side is not given the right information or they're not. Basically, it's it's not a it's not a good information going to the brain. It will tell the brain, I am not safe. Like imagine if you're inside your brain, every time you swallow, this is what's happening. Why? 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 There's no reward for the brain. That automatically, without us even being conscious of it, puts the brain into the state of unsafe. Anxiety. Anxiety is something that's subliminal. You can't put your finger on it. These are the things that the brain is aware of. So what does that mean? If I, have, if I need to run for my life uh, against another herd animal, I don't have what it takes to survive right? The head to tail is connected. This is all wiring of humans. That anxiety will subliminally keep the body into the state of sympathetic overdrive. What is sympathetic? So, so if, if somebody has malocclusion and they have anxiety, you're saying that, that the malocclusion, the bite being off can cause anxiety. Well, 100%, absolutely. Because here's the thing, and some people adapt, some maladapt to that condition. And that goes to another concept called adaptive capacity. Think about it this way. You talk about stress. Think about our adaptive capacity as a bucket. As humans, we have capacity to adapt to stresses of the life, right? We have a bucket. 
I have a bigger bucket maybe than somebody else that has a genetic uh, disposition that doesn't have enough a bucket. They have more stress going on physiologically. They had genetic SNP or they were born with malaligned body to begin with. So their adaptive capacity is much less. Their system is not able to adapt to the environment. When the stressors in life come in, malocclusion being one, uh, unable to breathe, I'm not able to suck and swallow the milk from the get-go because of tongue tightness. Basically, those are stressors of the system. So the body gets it and says, I think I can adapt. I think I have what it takes, right? The, the bucket gets filled to the top, right? Some people max at age five, some max at age 50, depending on what else the environment puts on them, iatrogenic, you know, procedures that are done medically on them. The dentist puts a crown that doesn't fit or a sealant that doesn't fit or orthodontics that is just basically not done correctly or the wrong timing puts more stress on the body. When that stressor meet at the top, what happens to the bucket? Overflows, right? That's when we see the state of disease. We see symptoms. I cannot sleep. I have pain. That's body saying, I am max. I have nothing to give. This is too much to adapt. I can't do this anymore. Then what do we do? We go to the doctors because depending on where the symptoms show up, right? If show up in your upper cervicals, where do we go? Go to the chiropractor. If you have a toothache, you go to a dentist, right? But you know what? That's not where it started. It almost body will tell you problems arise in the area that is overused because body knows how to survive, avoids what doesn't work, overuse what does. And then with symptoms, symptoms, we treat the symptoms, the body has to go back to the state of either adapting to it or maladapted to it and it becomes a vicious cycle. But so the question is- what, Yeah, what we're happening, so this is Conquering Stress Podcast and that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. And you know, we talk about things are physical, chemical and emotional in the, the space of, of, of stress. And what I want, I'm hoping that people are, are hearing is that we overlook our, our teeth, the TMJ, the, uh, the occlusion, the airway. Can you speak on, because uh, I'm, I'm trying to, to get the people that are listening to, to it going, so, well, how's that affecting me? So if you have anxiety um, and you don't know why, you don't, uh, brain fog, uh, sleep apnea, the yeah. headaches, 80, 80, you know what, you know, you, you worked with my daughter when I sent you the pictures and, you know, <laughs> ADHD, um, fidgeting, moving around. And it was, it was beautiful. Can, can you kind of talk about how yeah. that mechanism, because now we, we, we're, we've learned that we're, we're just constantly this, this stress that we don't even realize our brain is subliminal. Old. Yeah. How well, well, I tell you around what are they walking around with? They've had this for 20, 30 years. Yeah. How, how, so how are they think about it this way. Life? I love analogies because it's easier for people to understand analogies than me talking doctor mm. language. We're talking about ADHD, obstructive sleep apnea, or any chronic conditions. Okay. What I'll call this are end stage diseases, meaning that a lot of things had to go wrong for body to basically put up this front and say, not okay, not gonna do this anymore, I'm done, I'm maxed. Basically, when we see children that are lacking nutrition, um, airflow, because their cranium, their face hasn't developed, the tongue posture, nasal passage hasn't developed, we're gonna get into the why. When you have malalignment in your hip and you know that's one of the most proprioceptive part of our body is our bipedal animals, that's our locomotor center. If there's any instability between the 
bottom of the spine and hip, that is a huge stressor to the brain. If the jaw position has not grown to the right position, which I can touch up on that, hopefully today. If the, the two jaws, upper and lower jaw, they're not completely developed at birth. They have to develop with a function. And if functionally we are lacking what it requires them to move in the right direction, clear the airway, grow the airway, which is basically a space in between our tissue and our head, which develops as we go grow with function. And if you don't have function, it doesn't develop. It restricts the most important function of our body, which is breathing. That's a stressor, right? So the proprioceptive part of our bodies were meant to tell the brain about the state of our conditions in relation to the environment. So we're talking about end stages is like OSA, obstructive sleep apnea, or in children, ADHD, which we still don't have a complete way of diagnosing it. It's just basically, you're a parent. How do they diagnose that your daughter had ADHD? If you questionnaire to fill out. There's no objective testing for it. There's no definitive way. And if it looks like one, it is one. That's the only way we know. But if, if, if a child is misbehaving, having lack of concentration because their brain is preoccupied with all of those orthopedic malalignment, lack of airflow to their body because their tongue is constantly obstructing them. Their sleep is disrupted. They're not getting growth hormone. They're not getting gram stage sleep. Their brain doesn't know how to close tabs. Well, on top of that, we're putting them in front of the screens, which getting an influx of information, no time to process. They go from brainstem and reflex, no midbrain to cortex, higher cortex. This is the state of our children. So the brain is constantly trying to process information, put them in the right place, but they're not getting enough RAM stage sleep to do that. So what do they think the brain is going to do? The brain is already in the state of dysautonomia. It's already on sympathetic overdrive. And on top of that, it has so many tabs open over-processing mode, like they have so much to say, brain is on go, body's on break, right? So think about the human body, like a car, a sophisticated car. You know, if, if, if you do not ever, I never drive a stick, but I know how that's driven. So you have to go from first gear to neutral and then go back to the second gear and I want to go to, you have to constantly go back to neutral. So this is what we're doing. Going to the neutral is what the body needs. Rest, the state of neutrality, you know, thinking, thinking things up together, right? We go from first gear to fourth gear, no neutral. That's where we go from birth to five-year-old that sit in front. They know how to process information on iPad, but they don't know their left or right. They don't know how to coordinate their hands and their mouth and their eyes because they never had to. There was no challenge in the environment for those senses to develop from left to right. And they're retaining and operating mostly out of the reflexes they have not integrated. And then... On top of that, they have a manual brake that was never put down. So if you are driving that car in the fourth gear and the manual brake was never released and the tire on the left side on passenger has got low air because of the malalignment of the car, when do you think that car is going to break down? Now, just think about it. That's just a vehicle, right? So if you're looking at a human being the same way, when we are going through stages of life and development, children are being forced to do things much earlier that requires higher cortex but there's much too little put on emphasis on developing their midbrain, the recognition of their left and right. What are the things that prevent them from doing that? Well, let's just talk about the minute of conception. I mean, as early as the minute of conception, the child in the womb, the movement of the child in the womb has some to do with the development of their face, tongue, palate, airway. They do respire in the womb. They don't breathe in the womb. Respiration is the movement of the spinal fluid around the brain. That happens in the womb. That actually does. Those movements are restricted when the child is in the state of, I'm going to stay there for my mom right here with that motor reflex, fear paralysis reflex. Why? Mm -hmm. High amniotic cortisol. 
why would there be so much cortisol in the amniotic fluid? Well, I don't know. Moms are not necessarily a host for the child during growth and development, not to shame anyone, but we have maternal age rising. Moms have to work until the minute of delivery. Um, the environment, the food they're eating is just so much stress is on our digestive system, microbiome lack of no sunshine, you know, everything that is on mom's body, breathing dysfunction, obstructive sleep apnea for mom, that's huge for the child. So mom has an obstructive sleep apnea, unable to breathe properly, the child is going to get an effect, guess where? In the womb. We're thinking that kids are born perfect at birth. Far from it. And then what do we do at birth? We bring him and beautifully put him in a little bucket seat, car seat, and take him home, put their neck in an uncomfortable position that closes off their airway more. And then we basically are keeping them immobile and putting rubber shoes on them, put them on even floors. What does the human genetics say? Well, we were supposed to go outside, um, get potty trained at three months. That's a part of the brain development. Not put on diapers and then have to retrain them later in, in potty train them much, much down the road. Um, basically, those control of the reflexes and bladder, breastfeeding, all of that is controlled. Tongue is one of the most important muscles or neurological organs, breathing organs in our body that controls all that. What is the function of the tongue? Well, I haven't even started talking about that, but one of the most important organs and development of the child's face is their tongue. Let's talk about this for a second. We have five of our nerves in our head wired to the tongue. I'm going to say that again. Five nerves, one muscle. What does that tell you? This muscle has so many jobs that has, like imagine, a, you know, someone that works for a company has five cell phones, right? They have to respond to all of them because they have different functions. To... Tongue is a breathing muscle. It's a postural muscle, indicator of the mandible and the hyoid bone ends, control the shoulder posture and the neck and cervical chiropractor. And if the tongue is restricted, again, I can go into the reasons why, but that's a whole two-hour conversation. Tongue tightness, which we know. In inability of the tongue to lift itself to where it belongs to the roof of the mouth. And it started again way before birth. So let, let's let's let me interrupt you on that. So again, people are listening to this saying, okay, well, my tongue's fine because it doesn't hurt, which is like what most people go, because if you're not thinking about it, what are some of the things like maybe people can go right now to see what is a tongue supposed to do and how will we know dysfunction? It's one of those. It's a can of warm with the tongue. When you open it, I have to answer it. And I'm very passionate. <laughs> this is where every dentistry has come together for me. And one myth, myth that I built, want to bust right here. Nobody, unless they had a traumatic blow into the jaw or they fell off the horse or the car or concussion. If you remember the accident, macro trauma, great. I believe you have a TMJ problem. That is a trauma. It's almost like, you know, you just, you know, hurt your shoulder. Somebody like you. So I punched you, know, you in the jaw. We would say, yeah. Something happened that you remember the event. That is a macro trauma. Almost 100% of patients that have TM joint problem, pain, severe headaches, malnutrition, opening, they have a breathing disorder and has some kind of a malformation of the body because TMJ is an alignment, the valve of our body's breathing and function. It literally is where the head and the, the head and the body connect. Remember I said mandible is our feet in the mouth? Guess what's controlling it? Mandible is the lower jaw. Right here in our temples where our ears are, the temporomandible joint, we call it TMJ. People say I have TMJ. We all have TMJ. But TMD, a disorder of the mandible and the head and the spine, because this one U-bone 
is not even a part of the skull. It's part of the body. As a matter of fact, you're going to love this one. It's actually extension of the cervical spine. Mandible is a part of the cervical spine. It is completely directed by the cervical spine. So let's talk about the tongue. Okay. So what controls this U-bone? I call it the airplane. You know, when the airplane opens, when you open up and close, it's like an airplane that's controlled by reflexes, muscles, and everything. The most important muscle that controls the position of the mandible. Are you ready for the drum roll? Go ahead. Oh. Well, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> why do we have tongue? We have tongue because our entire nervous system function depends on this muscle for breathing, for swallowing, for talking. Neurological development of our body depends on the function of this one organ. And it has so many different muscles inside the tongue, you know, connected. Okay, is it five? Five uh, nerves and multiple muscles connected to the hyoid bone, which is GPS of the, t uh, the mandible. So many of the muscles inside the tongue are attached to that. And then attachment to the muscles that controls our airway. Now, everybody is like, well, what is the airway? Airway is basically the space from the nose, upper airway anyway, to the base of our, base of our neck, where our head basically is leading off to the much larger part of the lower airway, which is the lung. So air passage from nose to the lung depend on that whole space, the hollow space to develop correctly. Okay. Remember we were, we're not, we're not on fours. We're not like the rest of the mammals. We're bipedal animal. means we stand on two feet. Okay. Dogs, they're on four. When they open their mouth, their tongue does not close off their airway, which is the space behind their tongue. We do because for us to stand upright, we need that our airway which is nose all the way down to have a 90 degree sharp angle, right? That development, there's a lot that goes into that formation. And if anything interrupt the formation and that passage to be passive, it's going to require body to compensate in order to keep that space open. Are and you saying the, the, the gravity is in flux on the tongue because we're bipedal? No, it's not. Well, not so much. The, well, there's a lot that goes into it. And I'm trying to make this very lay and very palatable. No pun intended. Oh, pun is totally intended. <laughs> uh, palatable is gravity is why we are the way we are. Gravity is what we need to form us into humans. Barometric pressure and gravity. Without that, why do we wear space suits when we are in space? Well, because we can't breathe properly without gravity. We can't. We need gravity to move air down and up. Our diaphragm descends down. Look, if we don't have that breathing diaphragmatic in the womb when we're when we're still forming, we have respiration, but not breathing. Respiration is movement of the cerebrospinal fluid around the brain. Basically, helps with removing the toxins and uh, waste materials and lymphatics from the brain and bringing nutrients and everything to the brain because brain doesn't have its own blood supply. It's a beautiful design. It has a little pump that is attached to some anchor points on the skull and the tailbone. So think about us, bipedal animals, when we're standing upright, that synchronicity between our rib cage and our diaphragm and our pelvis needs to be coordinated with our head. If we don't have the synchronicity, one is working off with the other one. So this mechanism has got a leak in it. So diaphragmatic breathing, let's talk about why tongue and diaphragmatic breathing knows us all related. If I were to make this simple as possible, the tongue has a lot of tissue attached to it called fascia. What's fascia? Fascia is basically, an, again, another neurological organ. It's this white sheath, electric sheath that surrounds practically every cell in our body. It's our electricity carrier of our body. Every cell has it. Without it, if the fascia 
is not functioning properly. We don't have communication between our systems of our body. We are in fact a battery. We're a battery. Why do we die when we don't breathe? Because we need oxygen to charge our battery, right? Without oxygen, we won't last another minute. Three minutes max because we're basically losing charge. Where is that charge held? In our every membrane in our cells have a positive and a negative. And to charge that, we need oxygen, mitochondria, uh, all that good stuff that has to happen inside the mitochondria, Krebs cycle. We need so many things to work together for that mechanism to work properly to keep us charged. A voltage between 55 and 65. If you your voltage drops below 55, you're ill. Below 25, you're dead. Right. 65 above, it's you know, state of being vibrant and, and healthy and everything works properly together. For that to happen, we require oxygen to be delivered to every cell in our body. So now that we got that out of the way, what does tongue have to do with it? Sorry to tell you what the tongue has to do with it is, think of the tongue as the gasket, right? To seal, seal things off for the mechanism or our neurology work properly, for diaphragm to know what it's supposed to do, when a gasket is loose, there's a leak in the system. You can just hear that noise. Now, why, why is tongue so important for the tongue for function of breathing? Because connection of the tongue, intimate connection of the tongue with the roof of the mouth, that means the area behind, you know, right underneath, which forms part of our nasal passage and back of the tongue, that soft palate, a uvula, that intimate connection of the tongue with the palate signals to the brain, parasympathetic signal. Children that tongue, they do suck on their thumb, they are unable to utilize that mechanism of tongue with the roof to put the body to bring into parasympathetic. Remember, safe, not safe. When the tongue is unable to go to the roof of the mouth, to turn that button on, and that button is practically entire palate, roof of the mouth, is wired with parasympathetic functions. The most important one is that papello, that little bump tissue behind the two front teeth. When a child is unable to lift up the tongue to the roof of the mouth and, and, and basically extract the milk from mom's breaths and have all of that neurological functions be in place, the child is in a state of, I'm not safe. That's why they graze for hours or they thumb is, is, that, because is that a common thing to, for infants to not be able to raise It's their becoming tongue? a thing. And I, and I have to say, Bill, tongue tightness is becoming the cleft palate of our generation. Tethered oral tissue. So why, you know, your guess is as good as mine, methylation effect, uh, folic acid and prenatal lack of movement in the womb. We have basically more of the symphysis and, and tightness of the tissue in the midline formation of the neural tube. And tongue has got one of the most rich parts of the neural tube formation. As a matter of fact, of the, the, the nerves that are wired to the tongue, a couple of them are the first ones, actually three of them are the first ones that are formed as soon as the neural tube closes. Trigeminal nerve, which is a giant nerve that supplies our head and neck. Uh, hypoglossal nerve, that is helping with the swallowing function. And vagus nerve, that is the most important for vital functions of our body, breathing, digestion, all that. So At is, the minute of conception, those three are formed already. Is, is, is that why uh, some kids, they're just stuck on their pacifier? Pretty much. And the other thing that the pacifier does is preventing the tongue to come into that intimate connection with the palate. You know what the child needs? Why do we need the palate? Let me just let say that right now. Why do why are we designed to have our tongue at the roof of our mouth at any given moment? Unless you're breathing through exercise and you need more air come through your body because your, your consumption of oxygen is gone, you have more demand. You should not be breathing through your mouth. Why? 
because when the tongue is unable to seal up the palate, you're a mouth breather automatically. And mouth breathing puts you in a sympathetic mode. The tongue, when it's resting wonderfully at the roof of the mouth, it forms the face. It's the organ to push the face in the direction it was supposed to grow. Not downwards, but forward. Our faces were not complete at birth. As a matter of fact, formation of the, the face in the womb is dependent on that placement of the tongue of the roof. And children are having that problem, even in the womb, the tongue tightness and mouth propped open. That's something we're seeing in the womb. So if the tongue is unable to rest properly at the roof of the mouth, extract the milk comfortably with the right proper suction, because yeah, kids, kids breastfeed. That doesn't mean they're breastfeeding. The clicking noise they make, the leak in the system, remember I said the gasket. If the gasket is loose, they're tongue tied, they're not, they lip ties another one. They're not able to completely seal up the, the tongue to the roof of the mouth and extract the milk. The actual breast tissue pulls the face forward, allows the tongue to pressure, exert pressure at the roof of the mouth, activate the parasympathetic. So that's effective breastfeeding because they're not just getting water out of the breast tissue. They're getting actual milk and the, uh, the fatty part, which is important for their growth. And when they're unable to do that, they resort to, that's why the pacifier gives them a bit of that relief but at the same time it makes their tongue assume a lower posture which is what exactly they need at that stage so if i were to discourage pacifiers right here i might have a lot of controversy coming at me but i have more reasons on why i do not like pacifiers but childish tongue tie we could address that if they have cranial patterns that's preventing them from putting their tongue over the mouth meaning they are born with a high arch palate like that it's a cranial problems malformation, traumatic birth, what have you, they're still malleable, they can be corrected. Occiput has a lot to do with it. Temporal bones have a lot to do with it. Spinoid has a lot to do with it. In a child, it's easier to mobilize those bones and gentle pressures, we can put them in the right place so the tongue can go where it's supposed to go. But we catch them when? When they're 15 years old and they have ADHD and they're mouth breathers and their face isn't growing. Well, that's 15 years. And they've years been through all the medications and all the oh, therapy goodness, and yes. all the special things like that. Exactly. Where, where, where we were we're trained as a society to to fix the symptom. Even sometimes we cause it. We call it the cause, but it's not the cause because it's not the cause of the cause. That, no, even that, even autism spectrum, it's a symptom. That's not a diagnosis. We have been trained to have boxes. So when you come to see me, I gotta have a box to put you in. So you give me your symptoms. I gather some information. We call that subjective and objective, right? Subjective of what the patient tells me. I've got a toothache or I have a jaw pain. Whatever they think that is related to the dentist to go. If they have a neck pain, they're not going to come see me. All the while, it could be real. They could have a lumbar spine, a low back pain that is completely related to the way their skull is formed and their palate is formed, and they don't know it. They won't come to me for that because the distance, the site of the symptom is far from the origin, right? We don't look at the origin. We look at where the problem happened. And what do we do? We treat the symptom where they are. Okay. Let me go back to when I was a dentist, okay? Because I consider myself a functional every architect. I love moving skull bones and people's faces to make it more functional, put the head over the spine, help with my professionals that are helping me to start the body where it can function properly. Well, when the toothache came to me and they break a second molar on the right side for the fourth time, it was frustrating because we understand dentists are really getting the short end of the stick because every problem with the neurology that does not work for the body malalignment when we bring our teeth together it basically exacerbates itself at the at the one of the ends of the system which is the teeth so they break the tooth and we replace it and they break it again 
well, there are forces that control the fate of that tooth and the gum tissue and symptoms, right? We have no control over where the forces are coming from. What do we, what do we have? Well, uh, baby them, put plastics in their mouth and keep their teeth separate, which doesn't do anyone any good because we haven't addressed the forces that are causing the problem. And we have to over-engineer what we do in dentistry. Put crowns in there that don't break. Well, because we really don't understand why they broke their own tooth. Enamel is the hardest structure in our entire body. It's pretty much like a diamond. If someone is breaking their own tooth, gnashing and grinding their own tooth, what makes me think that my dentistry is going to have a chance? So what do we do? We create dentistry that under force will adapt and form. And basically, the breaker went off. We just yank the breaker. The next breaker goes off. We yank that one and talk. The whole circuit is going to be short-circuited, right? The entire thing is going to be undone. Why? Because we did not ask where the problem was. We basically silenced the breakers until the whole system is coming undone. You know, that's a human body. When they come and see you for end stage fused vertebras, or they have no space between the bulging disc, they're at the end stage. I have, I, I tell you, it's so frustrating as a dentist chiropractor treating things that are causing problems in our area, but we have no control over them. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to respect your time because I know that you have a hard stop because you have so many more people to go out and help. What I wanted to do in, in, in this discussion today was introduce the concept yep. to, to people. Because I, when I first heard you talk, because I had been looking for uh, someone to work with my patients because I see a lot of mouth breathing and I'm not, I'm not a dentist. So, but I do know the 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 coordination between the body and the balance and proprioceptive and Absolutely. I'm a neuro guy so that's how I roll love it and you know what Bill if I were to have a little magic wand then I would just want to swing it and say what can we do differently for our patients so we have so much less end stage to deal with so much symptom oriented I think dentists and chiropractors are the orthopedist neurologists of the entire system mm -hmm. if you have doubts if you have doubts that when someone is sick and having symptoms, look in their mouth and their spine. And I see teeth, ball and cusp, like when they come together, as the other set of vertebras in the mouth. Teeth are exactly, there is suture in the mouth, there are vertebras in the mouth. Dentists and chiropractors need to work in such a cohesive, matter of fact, I think they should be in the same place. I go to my chiropractor. I never treat my patients without a proper chiropractor. So many of them have a lot of neurological neurology background. They have a lot of sacral occipital technique backgrounds. They know how to tighten up the loose nuts and bolts and not duct tape the body back together. And I think if dentists and chiropractors are addressing the reflexes and the breathing and things that are causing the body to be so out of alignment, you're going to be amazed how many of those chronic physiological conditions that are related to state of autonomic dysautonomia, synthetic overdrive, inflammatory conditions would subside. ADHD medications will come off. We basically removing biggest splinters in the body. Like think about this orthopedic malalignment, the malocclusion, cervical malalignment as like a, you know, a splinter in the tissue, right? Causing infections. Why don't we just come up with a way to actually keep on changing the gauze and removing the pus until the, you know, that's not the right appropriate treatment. Medical doctors don't do that. They're like, well, we'll remove the cause and then we repair. What do we do instead? What we have been taught and what has been mainstream, focus on the disease. If there's a hole in the tooth, drill it and put something in there. 
you don't ask why we, we you have diabetes. We're just going to cut this finger, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't treat diabetes. We just cut that finger. We still have a disease that's going to cause problems elsewhere. Malocclusion, cavities, um, gum disease. These are all problems related to dysautonomia, dysfunctional breathing, and malalignment in the body. And all we are taught, find those diseases and manage them. That's what makes money, unfortunately. What I do, unless patients are so holistically minded, it just it's not something that insurance pay for, third parties pay for. It's not very popular per se, but most of my patients come off the medications that you know the date they would need for long term because their body's functioning properly. So where do we draw this line? I'm hoping this as we come into the close for this for the session, I'd be happy to come back and if there's interest, elaborate on more about mouth breathing, more about facial development, more about traumas. And TMJ is a huge broad over subject. But for today, as we're coming to the close, what I really think that is coming to people that are listening, here's a dentist at top of their game that just basically erased the box I was given. I started as a dentist, but I reached out to many of the professionals outside of my field and I just found out, how can I make your treatments, your approach to a patient better? How can you help me do the same? And here you are, a chiropractor doing the same thing. This is the start of magic. And I'm hoping this is the future where people are not just going to a dentist because I have a toothache. Let's see where the problem is. How did you end up with that? They come in and they need the cervical adjustment. Understand the mouth has a lot to do with it, especially low back patients. Patients that cannot sleep. They have depression, anxiety, lack of focus, ADHD. These are the problems in the face and the mouth. And the expert treated is a dentist that's properly trained. Not every dentist, but a properly trained architect. Well, so- no, and, and I appreciate everything that you've come out. And like I said, I, what, what I wanted... What I was hoping to do is people are going to be listening to this and they're going to be going, wow, because there, there's a couple of things that are very special about about you and a lot of professionals in, in different things. We've, we've seen the rise of functional neurology, which I do, functional medicine that's coming up. Uh, now it's functional dentistry, actually, an airway where we're looking in, at the details. You are... I'm so excited because you can hear the passion in your voice and there's so much information that you, you, you want to get out. And I love that. And I also want people listening to know is, is this nice lady in front of us is also whoever stands in front of a, a, a revolution or a rebellion, they usually get the first bullets. And, and, and you have to have an amount of certainness, courage and and just that 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 innate knowing that that you're right and you're just going this is the way it is and i i I appreciate that so much and it's not that you're coming at it from like you know i made up this treatment and i i did this in my basement no guys this is this is hard basic fit well not basic but it's the neurology that we know. It's the physiology we know. It's everything that we know. And it, I'll go back to it. We're in the we're in the days of AI, Chat GTP, Google. We can get anything that we want. The world's changing. Let's open up our eyes a little and say, the medical profession, healthcare, it, it's changing. Two, we're bringing new technologies to you that this is not 
you know, crazy. The, the world has been focused and accustomed to symptom management, dead or no dead care, right? What do we have when we have three metabolic, chronic metabolic condition, trifecta, diabetes, high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, periodontal disease? What do we do with them? We put them on medications and manage them, right? When you go into your doctor, going back to the subjective objective, that the whole purpose is to come up with a diagnostic code. There's a code for everything, M's and S's, and then, then there's coding after. If you do not have a code for the, the symptoms you diagnose, guess what? You don't get paid. And for you to get a treatment, you have to have a diagnostic code. And if you don't have a diagnostic code, well, guess what? My patient has a toothache because they have a cervical spine issue. That is not something I can address. I need a collaborative team to work with. Well, you cannot diagnose cervical spine issues. And that's correct. However, the connection of the dots are so intricate and the body's way of compensating for survival is so intricate that without at least four or five professionals in their own good, what they're doing, doing nothing different, we need to come together and say, you know what, for this particular patient, what is their body and nervous system telling me that they need for them to function better and compensate less? And that's all about decompensation. You yeah. pick up the uh, your your stock market app, whatever you use in the morning, we see reds or greens, right? That is, for economical standpoint, that's our autonomic nervous system function. So given the information from the global aspect and who's doing what, you know, the hedge funds will decide what to buy and the sell with the, the biggest of the indexes. And they des decide what stocks go up and go down. When we see red, that's sympathetic, right? So what happened in one of the biggest indices like NASDAQ or S&P 500 that dictated that? Is it because of the gas price? If I, I look at gas prices like the oxygen or they're off the grocery store. You go in and you're like, well, the food costs more. That's not where it started. It started a higher up. And the housing and then the interest rates, all of them are interconnected. And I mean, I'm looking at the economic system and intercorrectness and always sees the endpoint. When I'm looking at the endpoint, red or green, that means safe or not safe. And what do we do with, with the state of economy, basically raising interest rates and making it pseudo good, right? That's what we're trying to make the make those greens appear, but they're not. When you're raising the interest rate so high, it's almost like I'm putting on five line of medication to silence or turn off your, your autonomic nervous system. But the inflammation is still there. The problem is still there. I just turn off the symptoms. When we give it a sprays for the nose to say, well, let's just go ahead and treat it at the source. The problem is in the gut. Mind you, we're not treating that. We're just going to treat the source and put you, put you on steroids long-term. For how long? Well, as long as you don't remember my name anymore. I treated your symptoms. I got you a code and I got paid. That's all there is yeah. to it. And there's no and code to, for dysautonomia. There is no code for restoring homeostasis, what yeah. I say. And that's the problem because at the end of the day, my goal is not to treat. I do not like that word. Treatment is for the state of disease and stage. What we do is decompensate our bodies, our patients. And sometimes, you not all the time, you have to look at the triangle, the tri-pillars, right? Orthopedic neurology goes along with muscles and how they all function together. And then we have physiology and chemical axis, gut, microbiome, HBA axis, thyroid, everything that's chemically relating us to the world. And then we have the psyche and so over soma, spiritual, mental health, all three together. And they are interconnected to a huge degree. And so I think I think this is the start of a great conversation because I think this requires we're just we're just talking about one wing. We're not talking about chiropractor dentist. We're talking about one wing, one pillar of total health. If yeah, doctor, we address it in the right order. Doctor, we all need to come together with with under the 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 new paradigm and 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 we're we're all speaking the same language. And what I want the people to 
to that are listening is going that this is this is becoming a thing we're going more in the weeds and when you care more about your health than your insurance premium you'll do that because most of the stuff the people are really getting stuff done you have to be cash because you have to get out of the the system i know that my office is mostly cash because we can't get the results that we get I had two patients fly in last week to come see me because they can't get anything around them. Yep. And I mean, real care. And this is what we're getting. So I'm going to close with that. And we're definitely going to come, um, have you come back. And I think we're going to, we'll, we'll, we'll talk, we'll zero in on specific subjects. And I want to tease a little uh, because we, next time I want, I, I want you to show some of the before and after because it's good to talk about stuff. Yeah. But let's see the re, uh, the real results that you're you're yep. actually getting, and then um, maybe we'll talk about a very famous person that you treated that everyone's going to know that suffered needlessly for a very long time and that has changed his life around just because of the concepts we're talking today and I absolutely think stuff up. and you know well, what that is the world we live in and you know what you don't have to be uber famous or have access to mayo clinic which i'm into to a great degree i sometimes even question that because the biases continue i think uh the trend is correct we're having more people more doctors and patients that are more into this whole body subject rather than take bodies parts and pieces and uh, this this is really exciting to be in dentistry. And I'm finally excited about being a dentist because I now understand how to take care of the teeth without cutting them, without procedurally performing on them. Because remember I said neurological tissue, the same tissue in the dentin and the pulp is the same tissue that forms your nervous system, your sympathetic and parasympathetic, and your endocrine. Teeth are a part of endocrine and neurological system. That's all there is to it. That end of the story. And dentists are neurologists. The tissue under our hand it's the same as your nervous system. Yep. You know how that yeah. elevates our life as, as dentists, as jobs as a dentist, our responsibilities. So yeah, thank you so much for having Definitely me, Bill. This that. was amazing. Thank you so much. It was, it, it was awesome. And I can't wait for our next conversation. <laughs>